Hello, friends, and welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Dimmitt. Before we get into today's episode, I want to say a quick thank you. I've received a lot of kind and heartfelt messages about Derek this past week, and I just wanted to say that I really appreciate it. There are many who knew Derek better than I did, his close friends and family, and many others, and I will continue to pass along your love and support to them as well. I myself have been feeling pretty good this week. Not ready to just move on necessarily, but ready to carry Derek's memory forward. Derek was full of life and energy, and he had an incredible ability to bring out the best in the people around him and to get them stoked. So I believe we can honor him by charging forward, and that's what I plan to do. I just got to Waco a couple days ago, where I plan to stay for the rest of the winter, and I am very motivated to try to level up my bouldering this winter and build a stronger foundation for the coming year. But more on that later. Today we've got John Cardwell on the show. John is a professional rock climber, best known for his accomplishments in bouldering and sport climbing. John has climbed V15 and I believe at least four 515As at the time of this recording, most notably Biography in Seuss and La Rambla in Sierra. And we talked about both of these in the interview and some lessons learned from each of them. He's also climbed hundreds of 514s and enjoys climbing routes of every grade, all the way down to 510. And we talked about that as well and why mileage is important to him. We also talked about what John's climbing looks like in the off-season and what his pre-training mode looks like when building up towards a hard project and how that changes depending on his goals. And we talked about how he uses bouldering as a prime method of training for sport climbing and about his current project at The Fortress in Colorado, which he thinks will be hard. (laughs) Another 515 for sure. A little bit of context about the beginning of the interview. I started recording partway through a conversation we were having about John recovering from COVID. He actually tested positive for COVID in late October, I believe, and had to quarantine at home for 14 days. That's about where we pick up in the interview. We recorded this shortly before Thanksgiving, and at the time, John had been symptom-free for a little over three weeks and had just started to climb again at the gym, with a mask, of course, and taking all recommended precautions. I don't know why I felt obligated to share all of that, but there you go. I put out a new follow-up episode last week with Lizzie Van Patten, talking about the first ascent of a 13A trad route she did a few months ago at a remote crag in Oregon. That was a really great conversation, and we talked about much more than just the nuts and bolts of the climb, as usual. If you're interested in checking that out, you can find a teaser for that episode in your podcast feed. The teaser is about 15 minutes long, and the full conversation was about an hour. So if you're dying for more content, the teaser explains how to get access to the full episode. Thank you all for tuning in. And please enjoy my conversation with John Cardwell. Cast, cast, cast. No one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. 
like we do it. <laughs> like another person got COVID. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I know. And you know, it's it. funny after the whole experience. Um, I I've learned of a lot of people who've actually, um, gotten COVID. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Because the, they the were professional climbing space. Um. Yeah. Professional climbers and, I mean, everyone. Yeah. yeah. I don't. You know, of all different circles. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think anyone's really like, um, avoiding it completely. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Totally. Anyways, <laughs> here we are. Life life moves on. Yeah. I well, I'm glad you're feeling well, man. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did you have a Do you have a home wall that you guys were able to train on during that? Um. No, we built like a hangboard setup. Okay. Kind of system. Yeah, and rings and hangboards, like bands and various other. Gotcha. Yeah. So we don't really have a space right now that um, allows like it, we couldn't really build a climbing wall. Okay. Um, yeah. So. But, you know, we're close to Clear Creek Canyon and a bunch of other spots, you know. Yeah. But honestly, it was just kind of like time to chill and okay. rest and just, I mean, we were in a moving transition, so we were kind of like unpacking and doing all that. So, okay. so it was like just some time off. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Some, yeah. You need to kind of like let life do that for you sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Like take the downtime. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Hard, yeah. hard to choose downtime. Yeah. I mean, I, I've dealt with injuries in the past where basically I'm forced into like downtime. Um, and that's like a, a direct like, you know, um, reason to rest, you know? Yeah. But like I've had other moving situations or just life stuff come up where it's like, all right, maybe climbing could slow down for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't have something like that pop up, do you intentionally take steps away from climbing each year or do you take downtimes each year? Seasons I, off? I do. It kind of depends. It's circumstantial. Okay. Um, a lot of years I've tried to take a week to two weeks off around the Christmas, mm -hmm. um, New Year's holiday time because usually I'm visiting family and I'm not like trying to focus on climbing during that time sure, you know yeah. and i kind of reserve that space in that time to like kind of figure out what my goals are for the next year and how i want to approach the training and okay you know just starting fresh is usually like a good way to like begin the season for me occasionally like if i have like a really intense trip or i try a route for a long time or anything like that like a hard project at a certain point i get like pretty tired or burned out a little bit and it's nice to take like a few days to a week off after some of those times just to kind of like recalibrate and recover sure um both like physically and mentally yeah so, yeah with the goal setting i mean we're coming into that season right now mm -hmm. do you how do you go about that do you is that just like what you're thinking about in the back of your mind when you're spending time with family or do you write down your goals I would how detailed are they I'm, I'm curious about that yeah i mean i would say I, I keep a pretty open mind like throughout the year you know it's not like something at the end of the year i'm like all right to the back to the drawing board you know what am i doing this next year you uh -huh. know in a way maybe that period of time is for like okay where do i want to begin this season you know mm -hmm. i feel like i have goals that are like popping into my mind all year like all you know i'm open to the idea of of new goals all the time but lately I've had like a couple rolling projects, basically like mm. what I mean is like they're going from season to season, you know, so it's like they're still ongoing mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, I just have to plan out the right time to like go try those things, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like the new year is generally like a good time to like begin a training cycle because usually I'm not like traveling over the new year for climbing, you know, okay. so. But over the last few years, I, I have gone to like Europe and Spain in particular, um, like around February, March, 
So like at the new year, it gives me like a good chunk of time to kind of prepare for those trips. Mm -hmm. But this year, I don't know. It doesn't really look like this next season's gonna allow that. So yeah, um, yeah. kind of reconsidering some options. Okay. Yeah. Have you been doing kind of like a structured training cycle the last few years? Yeah, vaguely, okay. I guess. I, I've taken bits and pieces from different types of training that I've learned about over the years and kind of adapted it to my own specific needs okay. and my own structure. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like from listening to other stuff you've done that going into your final season projecting biography... It seems like that was the first time you really explored like more periodization and, you know, yeah, strength and power than power endurance or endurance. How has that evolved? Like what is what is some of your off-season training look like these days? Yeah, I mean, I would say off-season training is kind of just climbing and like oh. maintaining like a um kind of like staying in touch with climbing a bit and then when I, you know, when I start to focus in on a goal, then maybe I'll recalibrate my body to train well. So I'll, I'll like have a phase of like kind of getting in the gym more frequently and just having like starting to create a like a consistent training schedule. Almost like pre-training. Pre-training. Yeah. In a huh. way. Yeah. Like just high volume climbing and just like kind of preparing my body to like climb and train four or five, six times a week, you know? Huh. And then once that phase is done, then I really kind of like get into detail of what I need for the project or what I need for my goals and what I want to get out of it. And then I like zero in, you know, okay. so, um, the base, the basic structure is like really similar to a lot of stuff we've, you know, there's literature out there about climbing mm -hmm. training now. And it's like, I focus in a lot on strength and power in the very beginning and I kind of build that up. And then I start to incorporate endurance factors into that later on and kind of smooth it out a little bit and then end with like a really intense kind of power endurance uh, cycle. Mm. You know, kind of towards the end is almost like the time when I try to simulate what the project's going to be like, what it's going to feel like okay. in terms of intensity. And um, and then I try to like taper a little bit right before I go. Uh, okay, That's generally um, paired with uh, like traveling and like just oh, getting okay. acquainted to the new place or whatever the taper is just yeah the taper is kind of like or whatever yeah like flying overseas or traveling to an area and then maybe the first few days like kind of climbing easier getting mm. used to the rock again and just like adapting to the location okay yeah that yeah that's really interesting that's the part that I think I've screwed up a lot and it's really easy to screw up the taper. <laughs> oh yeah. Like just like traveling and getting right on the project yeah. first day or yeah, something. Training the last day before you, mm -hmm. before you hit the road. Yeah. Um, how long do you try to take to, to do that taper if you're, um, anywhere from like a week, like right around a week, I would okay. say is pretty good. You know, like maybe the last week of training, it could start to get like a little easier in the sense that like maybe not in terms of intensity, but mm -hmm. in the volume, you know? Mm -hmm. So you just kind of like climb or train and feel really good. And the moment you start to lose a little bit of strength or power during the session, just call it good. Whereas like earlier in the training cycle, maybe you would keep pushing and trying harder and, and pushing harder, you know? But okay. maybe calling some of the sessions early, like that final week of training and just like getting your confidence up and like kind of feeling strong each, each session mm. rather than like weighed down and tired. 
and then maybe that following week like you know reserve some time for travel or whatever you need and getting used to a new area um, going into the new area and just kind of maybe climbing some easier routes, easier hard routes, I guess, <laughs> just to like get used to the style properly, you know. Yeah. Um, so a couple notches below the thing. Yeah, maybe you're... like some onsighting. Um, okay. Maybe you know go up the project once or twice, you know, just to refamiliarize yourself with like the moves or the beta or like if it's your first time, just like go up and do the moves, you know, and and kind of get get ready, you know. Mm. And then after like that first cycle of like climb climb rest you know then it's maybe time like your body will start to like engage a bit okay and then i find usually at that point i have about two weeks of like solid like try hard you know oh. um two That's to three short. weeks yeah yeah it's a pretty short window yeah um with biography like... in particular i remember i i was really planning to incorporate the hike, you know, so like the hike Interesting. up to the crag is kind of like a uh, energy suck a yeah. little bit, you well, know. What is it like an hour hike? Yeah, roughly about an hour. I Pretty think steep. it's about yeah three miles or so steep. It's generally, I mean, you're just hiking in the middle of the day usually. Mm. Um, it's hot. There's not a lot of shade. Um, it's a pretty steep hike. It it's not anything like intense you know it's not like hiking like up the backside of el cap or something like that mm -hmm. but um it's hard and steep enough that it could fatigue you for the day so if you're like going into a season and say use and you haven't hiked a single day before that the hike might like tire you out for climbing so <laughs> yeah so like i prepared for like hiking a little bit and just by going hiking around the home and stuff yeah i was hiking like a local mountain sanitas like okay. multiple times a week Huh. Um, like before and after training sessions and stuff like that, just to like huh. totally prepare my body for like the experience that it would have. Yeah. Yeah. Because like really what tires you out for a place like Seyus is not just the climbing, but like hiking every single day mm. up and down the mountain. And if you multiply that by, you know, two, three or four weeks, like you'll burn out for mm. sure. Um, maybe you're still psyched, but like your body, it's just harder to recover mm. after a certain period of time. In those two, three weeks, um, you know, let's say with biography or, or with La Ramba, one of the more recent ones, mm -hmm. what does that climbing schedule look like for you typically? Those two routes had different factors. For me, La Rambla was all about kind of skin management. Okay. It's, it's a fairly painful route. Um, there's like a lot of sharp pockets and down low, there's like kind of an intense crack. Um, so for me, La Rambla, I was trying it maybe less than I would biography in terms of like tries per day. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the general climbing schedule is like two days on, one day off. Okay. Um, you got two days on in a row on the 15A project? Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Four tries maybe over two days. Okay. You know, sometimes I'm trying to think back. I mean, La Rambla was a couple of years ago. Um, there are some days I would maybe try it like three times in a day. Um, but La Rambla is an interesting route because it gets morning shade and then it goes into the sun for, you know, the middle of the day. Mm. And then in the evening it gets, it goes back into the shade, mm. but it's generally like kind of more humid there. And if there's no wind, then it kind of makes it a lot harder to climb. So you get tries in the morning, you get tries in the evening. Mm. And kind of what I decided was that I need to like pick one timer or the other, oh, okay. you know, to put all my effort into because waiting sense. all day in the sun and kind of pacing around and walking is just really intense. Um, <laughs> sure, yeah. if you're like trying to climb a route, that's really hard. Yeah. Um, so like, I, I found that like doing a morning session and an evening session didn't really work. So I kind of had to pick like which one 
am I going to do? Okay. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, uh, La Rambla actually was kind of an interesting thing because I was doing like the two days on, one day off kind of schedule. And I was climbing with my friend Daniel. And we were kind of like, we'd go try La Rambla in the morning, or I would, and he would belay me. And then we'd go to this route La Capella okay. in the afternoon. Um, so we were having this kind of pretty good climbing rotation. And then a giant storm came and kind of snowed. It snowed and rain. it rained and then it snowed and kind of soaked the crags and stuff. Okay. So we were in a really consistent schedule and then it kind of got washed out a bit. Hmm. So we had to rest like two or three days. And I actually got like a stomach flu. Oh, um, yeah. Like right when the snow came. So I didn't climb for a few days. And the funny thing is, I think I was on this, it was right around two weeks, you know, I started to feel a little tired. So I took a couple of days off because of the snow, because of the stomach bug. And once I felt better, I think I climbed one day and felt pretty good. And then the next day I was able to climb the roof. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just like right when it dried, like the first day that it was dry yeah. um, was the day that I was able to do it. And I, I just felt like generally like recovered and fresh. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I remember you talking about your experience with biography and I th that one was a really big project for you. I think it mm -hmm. was four years and yeah. you, you know, mm -hmm. hundreds of tries, yeah. something like that, your first 515. And I remember you saying that I think it was the season before you did it, you had like five weeks going really hard on the route. I think you climbed through the 14C star pitch like I don't know, 30 times or something that yeah. season, 40 yeah. times. Yeah, 2015. And I then think. you came, okay, 2015. Then yeah. you came back to Rifle. You took like 10 days off climbing mm -hmm. and then had a few easy days to kind of get back in the flow. And then you had like crushed everything in Rifle. You had an amazing season. Mm -hmm. So that's really interesting. I'm, I'm curious, have you, have you ever experimented with maybe having a couple really dedicated weeks on the project and then intentionally stepping back and taking, mm -hmm. you know, a few days off or a rest week or anything and then going back to it? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I think what we've seen a lot lately with um, people as climbing becomes more popular and there's so many videos and resources and, and literature on it, I think it's kind of been proven that, like, taking a step back after a few hard w weeks of training or climbing just to like let your body catch up to itself and then coming back is like so valuable and really important and honestly like when you try one route one single route in the same set of moves same warm up for a few day you know for even for a few days but for a couple of weeks in a row you're really not gaining anything like you start to lose strength and power and mm. skin and everything cuz your hands are hitting the same holds in the same places consistently so taking a step back is actually like really um a, a really good way to like i don't know mitigate you know like if you're not having like progress on a route for multiple days in a row i would say like the best thing to do at that time is just to go try other routes for a mm. little bit um or take some rest days like consistent rest days in a row mm. and then come back to a project and see if anything's changed mm. yeah i i guess in a way it's kind of like a shorter version of like tapering really so okay that season in say use and when i came back to rifle was just like i needed the rest my body was tired of like climbing so much in one area on one hard route and like doing this hike and then going to a crag like rifle where there's no hike the holds are much more friendly you know and it's a place that i'm really comfortable with and after resting basically i was like totally well prepared and trained and and ready to go you mm -hmm. know but mm -hmm. i definitely needed those couple of days to like get back in the groove 
And then once I did, I had all that residual strength and endurance that I, I gained in Seyus, you mm. know. So I think the same could be said for kind of anyone in any lo- any climbing location, you know. Maybe you just switch walls at the crag you're at. Okay. Um, take a few rest days and go try something else and maybe like lower the level a little bit and to build some confidence and momentum. Hmm. Yeah. I'd love to dig into biography a little bit more just, just to kind of dig into what some of your biggest takeaways were and maybe how your approach has changed going into subsequent projects. You know, you did Papi Chulo and then La Rambla, you know, two more 515s in the last few years. And I guess I'm really curious now maybe how that uh, experience with biography preparing for the hike, that whole thing is informing your approach to your current project. Mm-hmm. Um, the last time I saw you was up at the Fortress of Solitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of, you know, it's great. Because it's local, you know, mm-hmm. you have way easier access to it than having to fly to France to try your project. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> a really gnarly hike to get up there, and it sounds like it's going to be another 15A, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's changed? How are you? What does your approach look like on on that one? And I, th- I think what's changed is, um, yeah, you're right. I don't have to like. There's less stress around it in the sense that like I don't have to fly halfway across the world to go try it you know i just drive up the road a couple hours and i'm there there's pros and cons to that honestly um when i go on a big trip it's kind of like i put a lot of emphasis on preparing for the trip and Mm -hmm. making sure that i'm getting the best use out of myself and like being as resourceful as i can you know so i prepare as well as i can and when I have a project in the backyard, it's kind of like, well, I can just try it whenever, mm. you know? So maybe I'm not as, like, focused in in terms of, like, training and preparing for that climb. So it's interesting. My, my idea of training has evolved a bit since biography and stuff. It was quite a few years now. So, it, you know, I've changed a bit. but And this project's completely different. So um, it's a lot more bouldery mm. and more intense, you know, so the type of training I would do for this route is like completely different than what I was doing for biography. Okay. It's just so much more bouldery. So basically I've been trying to, in the last year, boulder a bit more and just kind of like, I've been doing fingerboarding and more campusing and stuff like this that I didn't do as much before really. Like mm. for biography, I didn't campus really. I didn't fingerboard as much you know it's more like doing really intense circuits like power endurance circuits on small holds okay um is basically what you need to climb biography is just to climb a lot of small short hard moves in a row it's just really like um consistent climbing there's no real like super intense hard move um i mean up at the end there is definitely a crux but the moves i would say are not completely like they wouldn't completely shut you down on the bolt, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas like this route that I'm trying now, there's some days that just doing the whole boulder problem in a row in the crux is hard, hmm. you know. Like it's, and then when I was doing biography, when I was trying biography, I could do the crux multiple times in a row mm-hmm. without really thinking about it. It was it was all about just arriving to that point, um, fresh enough to do it. A little okay. bit tired. Okay. Um. So this this other one, I would compare it more to a really hard boulder problem. Interesting. Yeah. So in general, the training is just looks completely different. Yeah. Yeah. I got a chance to watch you try it and I think you had a really good go that day. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That day was good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about the route. It's just to the right of kryptonite. Mm -hmm. Uh, You bolted it or you bolted it with Carlo? Um, Yeah. So Carlo Traversi and I bolted it um, 
quite a few years ago. I'm trying to think. I, I believe it was, um, it must have been 2015 or okay. 2016, maybe. Um, so we, we put the first bolts into it. And then Carlo had to, I think he moved at that point to California already. So I, I kept working on it quite a bit, um, cleaning it. And then the next season or like that fall, I came went back with Steve Hong and he started bolting another route and I kept working on this project and we kind of came up with the idea of like taking it all the way to the top of the wall. So I mm. kept bolting it all the way to the top of the wall, which is still like kind of a work in progress and I haven't really pursued it as much. So the route is broken down into two parts. Okay. Um, so that's kind of how it was like conceived. And I've really kind of zoned in on this first pitch that Carlo and I originally bolted. Okay. But ultimately, the route will likely go all the way to the end. Yeah. Um, but for now, the first step is to this first belay. Yeah. You know? Have you have you gone up the, I guess, extension, checked out the moves, that sort of thing? Oh, yeah, quite okay. a lot. Yeah, I spent well over five, six days working on it, cleaning it, you know, moving bolts and stuff. And I still have to kind of maneuver the line a little bit just because the rock, there's a one section of rock that's not really amazing. And I was cleaning it for quite a few days and I kind of decided that I should just kind of like move the line a little bit mm. um, to make it cleaner. Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's still a work in progress. And this section of climbing itself is maybe not as hard as the bottom section, but it's still pretty hard. So I think adding it on top of the bottom part of the route is going to just be kind of epically hard, you know? <laughs> so um, Any guesses? Like 15B? You know, I so it's hard to say really because i haven't like like worked that individual section by it's like in its entirety okay um you know i've just kind of like done some moves um a lot of it has been kind of like on agree agree on repel you know and mm. just kind of like okay this goes this goes but i think maybe like the root could basically be broken down into two parts and it's like the lower pitch is probably 515 i would say 15a and then the second pitch in itself is maybe 14C oh, or 14B. Yeah. So <laughs> Damn. Um, I, I believe the whole climb will be pretty significant. Yeah. Um, it'll be very hard. Is there a um, good rest at the first anchor? There, There's a good hold. And unfortunately, <laughs> I mean, it's a jug for sure. Like uh -huh. anyone would consider it a jug. The only problem is there's not really any sort of knee bar or anything so you're gonna be on your arms while resting and it's steep and it's pretty steep so you may be able to get like something back in terms of like like how pumped you are but i think to recover like full power is going to be really hard because mm. directly leading after the belay is the next crux in the in the full route and it's a pretty hard boulder problem so oh, okay you're gonna need to have power left over after climbing this extremely bouldery um, five fifteen below. So dang, yeah, man. We'll see. You know, yeah. <laughs> right now, I'm still, I'm still really focused on the first, you know, the first pitch, and I feel like it'll, it could happen soon. It's just, yeah, yeah. It looked like I, I don't remember exactly what the go looked like, but it seemed like you, you had a really good go. It seemed like you got mm -hmm. pretty close that day that I was up there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Kind of like how it's been is I've been at a weird plateau with this route for a couple seasons now. And it's mostly because it's so bouldery. So I've one hung it multiple times. And I'm like, well, that maybe looks close and it looks great on paper or whatever. Like, okay, you've done it with one fall, you know, any try now. It's just 
it's so low percentage, it's so bouldery that it's really hard to go from one hang to no hangs, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So it's been harder for me than like a typical endurance route because I feel like with an endurance route, if I do a one hang, it depends how long I rest, you know? It's like, all right, it's just a matter of like a little bit more endurance or climbing the section previously a little more efficient. Mm. Um, but honestly, the last few tries on this route, I've climbed about as well as I I could and I'm still kind of falling right at this one like double shoulder move yeah um, crux move um, but I have to admit that the last few tries I had up there were some of my best you know I oh, was cool. closer I felt more confident yeah um so That's it's insane. just kind of waiting you know and and keep trying and kind of you know the the interesting thing about this route is um i really need to be completely fresh to try it mm. so two weeks on it is like actually really intense so then i need maybe a week or two off of it i can't just keep trying it and trying mm -hmm. it and trying it um otherwise my muscles just get way too tired mm -hmm. yeah so are you doing any additional hiking for for that approach or is just going up there every other week i haven't enough? yeah like biography um not not in particularly. Yeah. Uh, I've been running a bit okay. and just kind of general fitness and cardio um, just to help kind of smooth out training really and just to kind of have like... What do you mean by that? Um, well, so I like to like run after training sessions often just to kind of recirculate my blood a hmm. bit and I, I feel like it helps with recovery um, once I get over the hump of like general cardio and stuff like that because initially it's kind of hard and it just yeah, makes the, me more tired for my next session the first two weeks when you start running again it just totally sucks yeah yeah and i'm not like doing anything rad with the running i'm just <laughs> running pretty moderate slow pace you know just enough to like feel my breath and like to feel the blood kind of move through and, mm. and help recirculate it a little bit i feel like it aids in recovery interesting a bit yeah so um, but for the fortress, I haven't really been doing like hard hikes or anything like that to prepare for it. Not this season, mm -hmm. at least. I'm sure what you're doing, just trying it is probably enough to, to keep your hiking fitness. Yeah, trying it consistently enough and not being like camped out at the base like I would be in Seyus. You know, I'm like after a day or two on the route, I'm able to like drive home and be home for a week and, mm. you know, train in the gym a little bit like that. So I feel like in terms of recovering uh, I'm still able to, like, have those really fresh days on the route mm -hmm. as opposed to, like, you know, when I'm on a trip, you know, and, you know, you're in the base of Seyus, like, you have, you're going to go climbing almost every day, mm -hmm. you know, so it's hard to avoid, you know. Got you. Mm -hmm. Got you. What's the breakdown of the the first pitch that you're working on? The route and the fortress? Yeah. Um, so... It's kind of interesting because I'm more or less the only person that's tried it. Okay. <laughs> so it, this could all be in my head, you know, and it's kind of like when you try a route by yourself for so long, it's it's kind of hard, hard to gauge like exactly how hard it is because you're so used to it and you're your only reference. Mm -hmm. um, but a few friends have tried it, like Daniel's tried it uh, a couple times. Carlo obviously has tried it a little bit and Maddie Hong has tried it. And I encourage those guys to try it more, but, you know, they have their own stuff going on, their own objectives and their own goals. Um, so it's all good. But I would say the route kind of breaks down. It, it begins with some kind of more moderate intro climbing, but it's still fairly challenging. It's probably 12 plus. Um, get to this jug and it's short. It's only a few bolts long. So it's more like a boulder prom. Maybe mm. it's V5, V6. Okay. But it's enough to kind of like, 
it i wouldn't say it like completely tires you out but it it's enough climbing where it's like you want to rest so yeah. then you get to this jug and you rest and kind of cool down your skin or mm. at least i do you know it's like kind of because i need a lot of really good friction once i enter the next section and then after that you go into um probably just different ways to break down the boulder problem but i would say it's probably v10 to a clipping position and you have one good hold but the problem is you can't match the hold and mm-hmm. it would be amazing to match it and rest but it's really hard to get one hand out of it and the other hand in mm. and then it just takes too much energy i've tried like every single combination of like switching Damn. this hold around um basically what it comes down to is i'm able to get this hold and clip really quick and chalk one hand up and then i go directly into the next bullet problem which is the crux and this section by itself could be about v12 damn um yeah so pretty bouldery and then you get to kind of a a reasonable shakeout hold it's like a slopey like brick kind of jug thing okay um it's not in cut but it's it's turned at an angle where you could really lean back on it and kind of um, rest and recover a little bit okay and then after that there's probably another v10 boulder problem or so um to the chain okay so um it's really stacked (laughs) like once you leave like the jug at the bottom after the 512 climbing it's pretty much on you until the to the end of the route yeah yeah okay is the shoulder move you described is that in the middle of the v12 Mm -hmm. okay yeah so it's it's quite strenuous to get into the shoulder um but it's really um like moving out of that move to a a small little crimp that's really the crux move and that's where i've fallen almost Mm. every time Mm. okay yeah so interesting (laughs) just really high intensity bouldering on a rope pretty much yeah yeah okay i want to ask a little bit about your bouldering indoor bouldering or maybe outdoor bouldering as far as like how you're preparing for this thing but Mm -hmm. before that I have to ask about the the skin cooling. Mm-hmm. That's oh, really, yeah. That's really interesting. Like, is there anything yeah. you do at the rest to, to help cool your skin off? I mean, not really. It's just something that I'm always conscious about. I don't think I'm... There's no, like, actual... Oh, I need to, like... I can't leave this rest until my skin's dry. Mm. Um, but it's definitely something I'm thinking of, you know? So I'm just, like, chalking up like any of us would. Mm-hmm. You know, but really kind of, like, trying to wave my hands as much as possible and... You know, the the fortress, for those of you who don't know, is, like, completely south-facing. Um, it's directly in the sun for most of the day, almost every single day up there. So the rock is, even on, like, the middle of the winter, cold, 30-degree days, is pretty warm, mm. even when the shade comes. And in the winter, you only get, like, an hour once the shade comes until it's <laughs> yeah, pitch black yeah. out. So it's a really tricky area to climate in general and like so it could be a freezing day but the rock is warm your skin is sweating and when you go into you know multi double digit boulder problems on a row uh, and you start to sweat those holds just feel way worse you Mm -hmm. know so that's why i really compared this route to like a boulder problem more than a sport climb because i haven't really experienced this intensity of bouldering on a route in a really long time so Mm -hmm. I just think of like having dry skin and like you would when you're going bouldering, you kind of wait for that right moment. You know, you like wave your hands in the air. People have fans these days that they take out to the crack to really dry your skin out before yeah. you pull onto the rock. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it's harder to do that on a sport route. And, you know, so I'm I'm really, after I climbed this first section of 512 climbing, I'm trying to set myself up as if I'm like pulling off the ground. 
mm. like right when I leave that jug. Mm -hmm. So yeah, drying my skin, I guess, is like just in the back of my head. Um, cause I'm not pumped. I'm not really that physically tired. It's more just waiting for the right moment to leave the rest. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Do you ever, <laughs> do you ever get wind up there at the fortress? Occasionally it's just, it's in, you, you've it's seen it. Like it's like tucked kind away. of yeah. tucked away yeah. this amphitheater, kind of like this nook a little bit. Yeah. So the wind, even if it is blowing on the outside of the cave, it's not always going in. Mm. Um, there's been a few random days here and there where there's been a great breeze and those are generally the best days up there mm. but it's just so hard to tell when the wind is actually going to like go into the cave mm. even with like south wind and all this stuff like it's it has like a mind of its own yeah <laughs> so it's it's just luck and really in the middle of the season like this um fall winter season what we're looking for is like overcast days where oh, okay the sun isn't just blasting on the wall all day the rock doesn't um, get quite as warm it doesn't get quite as warm yeah and maybe if there's a light breeze that's better than nothing yeah really okay yeah so you mentioned the the fans thing with boulders these days mm -hmm. i'm curious when uh when the first sport climber is going to like hang a Milwaukee fan from a fixed line or something. Yeah. I don't know. I, <laughs> I could blowing on the crux. I'm sure it would definitely help. I mean, there's, <laughs> you know, and a it. lot of really hard sport climbing Put is in, in Catalonia and in South France and stuff. And those are pretty humid areas like yeah. they're by the ocean. Um, so you get really kind of humid days on, on projects there. Um, thankfully we're in Colorado, so it's not quite as humid here at mm -hmm. all. You know, it's super dry. Um, yeah, maybe someday. We'll see. Those, like, little portable fans. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I don't own a fan myself for the bouldering, but I could see how it's, like, really advantageous to have. Totally. You know? Yeah. I had a little home wall in my garage for, for a couple of years, and if I had, you know, a big box fan blowing on me, when I pulled onto the boulder, it made all the difference in the world. I really started noticing the difference oh, yeah. with, with yeah. wind. Yeah, especially, yeah, like in home walls or in the gyms, you know, I'm standing by the fan all the time. Yeah, even when temps you know, are good. Brushing holds and, yeah, drying off the skin. Yeah, even when temps are good, for sure. What does your kind of bouldering preparation look like maybe midweek when you're... It, so, it sounds like you've been kind of trying this thing on the weekends. Mm -hmm. um, are you just doing gym problems in the gym, in the commercial gym? Are you, you know, focusing on the boards, moon board, tension board? What, what do you think is helping the most with this thing? Um, Initially, earlier this season, it was I was focusing a lot on the tension board um, okay. because of the size of holds and how it like kind of um, preserved my skin a bit. I feel um, like training on wood's probably really good prep for limestone. Yeah, it could be. It's a little slick, yeah. you know, and there's definitely like you got to get the right friction. Like I've had good days and bad days on those boards because of like friction, yeah. which is kind of simulates what you feel on rock. However, like the climbing on those boards is very gymnastic and powerful and like there's a lot of jumping and stuff like that, which is not as realistic to like the project, for instance. Mm. It's really static and controlled and slow. Um, but I like the size of holds. They're really quite hard to hold on to. The feet are not mm. that great. Um, so that, that has been my best training. But I do, like, when I start my sessions, you know, like, I warm up and then I try to circuit as many of the harder boulders that the gyms have set um, before I go on to, like, the board training. Okay. Yeah. Just to get a variety of movement. Okay. Different angles and et cetera. Gotcha. Yeah. What is, uh, I know you're planning on climbing, we're at Earth Tracks right now. Mm -hmm. I know you're, you're planning on a climbing session today. What is your session today going to look like? Um, right now I'm just kind of, 
preparing myself for harder training. So I'm just doing more higher volume. So I'll probably just go in there and boulder quite okay. a bit and just do movement stuff. Okay. Kind of just to climb and and to get like a higher volume of problems and, and movement in, in a day. Um, I'm kind of in that early phase of training, I would say right mm-hmm. now. Uh, and maybe, you know, in, here in a week or so, I'll start doing some more fingerboard and other type of like specific training. But yeah, just, it's pretty simple right now. There's okay. no like really structured plan. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That sounds nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just kind of enjoying climbing right now. You, you might've touched even on Even if it's in the gym. Yeah. Gym climbing's fun. Yeah. <laughs> you might've touched on this earlier, but how long will you spend doing that? Just kind of building capacity and pre-training? Probably, you know, it, it depends on, you know, the season and the project and like what the timeline is, but a couple weeks okay. probably. Yeah. And once you start to like feel good again, I guess, like say you had like a plateau or um, you were feeling tired or weak or run down and stuff like that, you know, it's like take some rest and then come back and build up a little bit. First few days, first week even is kind of hard. And then you start to feel good and like your skin is holding up a bit more and like your muscle and you're able to climb well multiple days on. Um, It's right around that point where I'm like, okay, you know, take a day or two off and then start to focus in a bit. Mm, Okay. Yeah. So just listening, everyone's different and you just have to kind of listen to your body a bit. And if you're still feeling beat down and worked after two weeks of just climbing, then I don't know, maybe you need to relook at it or rest a bit more or something like that, you Mm. know, because you don't want to go into a a hard training cycle tired and exhausted. You know, Mm -hmm. you want to go in like feeling good and kind of motivated. So, hmm. yeah, but cool. I would say, yeah, two weeks or so Okay, around, okay. it's like a good, you know, people talk about like arc training and all this, you know, doing high volume in the beginning. That's it's, I'm generally following like something like that, you know, um, but with bouldering more specifically, just cause it applies to the type of climbs that I want to attempt. You know, just so. this time around, or is that, is that what you've done in the past? Bouldering? As well? Yeah. Um, yes and no. I mean, when I was training for some routes in Spain, like Papichulo or La Rambla or Joe Mama and these other climbs in Oliana, they're like 50 meter massive routes. And, you know, a lot of my training looked a lot different back then. And it was more endurance based. So I would do like really long, you know, endurance circuits on a spray wall or something like that, or okay. a lot of laps in the gym in the very beginning, just to build up like a high base of volume of, of movement, really. Okay. Um, but certainly like somewhere in the training after that I incorporated a lot of bouldering because I I feel like you know the stronger you are on the moves the more comfortable more comfortable you are on you know the type of holds and stuff just the better you're going to climb the less energy you're going to use for each move so Mm. bouldering generally is the best way to achieve that Um, because if you're just trying roots in the gym you may not get the intensity of movement that you need for like your goals Mm. really So, yeah, I I boulder a lot, really. I think it's, you know, people find it surprising, but a lot of my training, even for hard endurance sport climbing, is is bouldering. Hmm. Um, I throw in circuits here and there, and like I said before, I've trained, like, high-volume endurance before, but it's not the majority of my training. It's just supplemental, really, just to make sure that I have a base of endurance. But really, the focus is on making the moves is simple and easy as possible okay much okay yeah. and you live in colorado you mm-hmm. live in, you just moved to golden mm-hmm. so you have access to a lot of outdoor bouldering too yeah 
what's the balance there? What's the balance of outdoor bouldering versus yeah. bouldering? Yeah, I mean, I think like with all things considered in our society these days and, you know, these uh, events that we're facing right now, I think it's wiser to be outside uh, and to spend more time outside. And when we have, you know, great weather like we do in Colorado right now, I think more of my time is going to be spent outside in the next month or so. Um, and the gyms are facing a lot of challenges themselves. And, you know, it's it's hard to, like, go in there and be contributing to that, really, you mm -hmm. know. But I know people have to move on with their life, and they have to make these businesses work. And so I feel for them, you know. It's like I want it to succeed. I want gyms to succeed, and I want training and all that normal life stuff that we're so used to to carry on. But um, I'm very thankful that I do live here in Colorado and that I'm able to climb outside more. So, yeah, with the recent move um, to Lakewood, actually, which is just next oh, okay. to um, Golden, I'm at a closer access to places like Clear Creek or local mm. boulders and sport climbs as well. So I'll probably climb outside a bit more you know, okay. while we have great weather. Um, and then end of the day, for me, it's like a lot more fun. <laughs> Outdoor? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I love the gyms and the training. Um, I've spent so much time in there, in the gyms over the last few years. But I think like just with everything considered, I'll probably, probably start spending less time in the gyms. Okay. Yeah. Do you feel like you can get the same quality of session outdoors versus indoors? Mm, that's a tough one. Um it's a yes and no thing again. I mean, it, it kind of just depends on what I'm looking for for that day, but generally no, I feel like in the gym, it's basically like you could get as much climbing done in two hours in a gym as like a full day out on the rocks. Mm. So if you're looking for like a high volume of like hard boulder proms and stuff, you go to the gym, they have like a hundred boulder proms, you know, so you're able to like climb as many as you can, you know, and then you go upstairs to like one of the training boards mm. and you do even more proms if you're going out bouldering outside, I mean, generally you're going to one or two boulders and they only have a handful of climbs on each one, for example. And so, yeah, your your session isn't really geared towards training outside. Mm. So when I go outside, I'm never really considering training. I'm, I'm more just, you know, sticking to my roots and just being like I'm out for a climbing day with friends or mm. by myself or whatever. And I'm just enjoying being out and climbing and trying hard. If I really am concerned about training and getting a session in, then when I come home, I'll do rings, I'll do fingerboard okay. or something. I'll do supplemental training at home just to fill out the day. But okay. for me, there's a clear separation between gym climbing and or um, training in the gym versus climbing outside. Okay. Um, there have been on occasion, like certain crags like rifle or um, there are certain boulders in Colorado that have like a high quantity of hard problems. They're kind of training days too. You can repeat boulders or in rifle. I, I've done laps on roots before. Or I've, you know, ended the day by cooling down on some harder roots and stuff like that just to fill out the day, really. Mm. Um, but it's not like, oh, let's go to rifle and train. It's right. more like I'm going to <laughs> rifle to climb and enjoy that experience, really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that. Another thing I'm really interested in with you is this balance of on-siding trips and quick tick trips where you're trying to send routes quickly that mm. are a little bit below your limit and then deep projects like, you know, trying a 515. Yeah. What does that balance look like for you these days as you're coming into a new year and thinking about goals and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, 
I definitely like what it comes down to is certain trips and certain times in trips. I like to just climb and like, you know, experience different moves and, you know, these climbing areas that I've been fortunate to go to over the years, like let's just take Sierrano, for example, in Spain. It has like 2,000 routes or something like that. And a lot of them are really, really good routes. And what I've done a lot in the past is I've gone to climbing areas and I've focused on one route, you know, like La Rambla or Biography. And, you know, you get kind of get this tunnel vision. And while they're really good routes in, in themselves, they're not, you know, the entire scope of the area, you know. Mm. And like places like Sayus have like five star, you know, 511s, five star 512s, five star 513s. And there's dozens of them around. And same with Sierrana. So, yeah, it's nice to take a step back and just like enjoy climbing for what climbing is. Mm. And it's like moving along the walls and up and down the walls. And yeah, there's still a challenge in there, but it's not like just beating your head against one climb and, you know, day in, day out, because that becomes a really frustrating and intense process at a certain point for a lot of people and it takes away a lot of like the the enjoyment of climbing at times you know i mean it's rewarding in the end like anything that we work really hard at but it's nice like if you're in a beautiful area like Sierrano or like tin sleep like this summer you know like climb a lot of the good routes around there's a lot of good climbing out there and it doesn't climbing for me doesn't always have to fixate on like a really hard intense objective you know Mm. so i think maybe this has like become more of a focus for me in the last few years because i've i've just learned that i enjoy pretty much all the climbing that's out there (laughs) um you know and i like really technical face climbing erect climbing corners i you know i like it all really and you know, those aren't always 515s, you know, and yeah, they yeah. rarely are, you know what I mean? And if I could go out and climb like an incredible, you know, 512 Arete, you know, that's that's really fun to me and enjoyable. And maybe you have a cragging day where you climb, you know, like the 510s, 511s, you know, and like try one really cool line or something like that. Um, those days I really enjoy, you know, and there's a lot less stress involved. Mm. Um but not to say, you know, like I, I, I try to find a, a balance between like trying really hard climbs and have being super goal oriented and focused and just like, okay, I'm preparing for this one climb, you know, and I'm going to an area to do that. But so I have the balance. And, you know, I still really like focus on that stuff. Like at the fortress, for instance, there's mm-hmm. not a ton of amazing other climbs to do there. Yeah. Um. So I'm really up there for that one climb. But you know, I've climbed a lot at Main Elk below, and it's not like the best climbing area in the world, but it, those days have been fun just to like climb other moves and do other routes, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I have a certain respect for people who develop those routes, you know? It's like there was one day, you know, that someone rappelled down or, or bolted that route and, and they saw something in the rock that was cool, you know? So I appreciate that at a certain point. Um, I don't know. I just, I like climbing, you know, so like, (laughs) I I won't shy away from like a more, you know, quote unquote moderate day. Like it, it's just client. It's the same to me as trying, you know, La Rambla. Mm. Um, It's, it's just maybe more enjoyable at times, you know, because it's less intense. Mm. Um, But yeah, I was curious about this because I was out in Ten Sleep and and saw you out there quite a bit this summer. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, he's spending a lot of time here. Is there anything hard enough for him here? You know, <laughs> um, so that's really that's really cool to hear and and really interesting. And I'm I was curious at the time, 
when you're doing something like that, if you're spending a bunch of time in 10 sleep, mm-hmm. are you worried about doing other supplemental stuff to maintain strength and fitness? Or you just, do you take steps away from that? Yeah, um, I mean, from time to time. Yeah. How do you think about that? Yeah. I've been there a few times over the last few years and, you know, I kind of, when I go to a crag like 10 sleep, sure, there's no 515s, but there's hard climbing there, hard enough to like, you know, feel that like need for like challenging myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, when I'm at a place at 10 sleep, I'm just enjoying like being in Wyoming and camping or, you know, doing the hikes. It's a really beautiful area. There's a lot of good climbing. And I enjoy a lot of the climbing there. Um, while it is, some of it's more moderate, I suppose. Um, there's still, you know, enough interesting climbing to keep me stimulated i guess and it's good climbing so Mm -hmm. um yeah i'm not really too focused on like training super hard when i go on a trip like to send sleep was that a longer trip or were you doing short trips broken up we did two well over the years i mean i've done so i used to coach a youth team Uh and we did summer trips there for like 10 days and stuff with another coach so those were somewhat longer, and then we did two trips this summer, and one was 10 days, I believe, and one another one was like a shorter weekend. Oh, okay. Or a shorter trip, like over a long weekend. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, gotcha. yeah, not, nothing like, I didn't spend like the season there gotcha. or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, so they were somewhat shorter trips. Okay. Yeah. So it was just like go up, climb a lot of, you know, and what I liked about going to 10 sleep is I could climb a ton of routes in a day. So mm. you get, you're able to get like tons of mileage in on a bunch of different climbs. I imagine this is a tough question cause there's probably so many to pick from, but, and it doesn't have to be from 10 sleep, but do you have like a really standout route or memory, you know, something that you've climbed that's, that didn't make the headlines that none of us have ever heard about? Hmm. Uh, like just like a really hard climb or just like just a gem, like a really one that just was, that really stands out as like, oh man, I really enjoyed that experience. That was a really special route for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like, you know, there's been a lot of emphasis on like these big trips that I've done in these, these pro cause you know, I've kind of like, um, like put a lot of emphasis in preparing for these routes and training for these routes and, but on those trips, while well, it seems like I climb one hard route, you know, I've climbed a lot of, a dozens of other routes mm. that um, are not quite as hard, but around the same level, you know, like, you know, I've climbed a lot of like 9A routes, a lot of five four, you know, hundreds of 514s now. So, I mean, <laughs> and I think, you know, I'm not out there to climb routes to get recognition, you know, mm. necessarily, you know, and if stuff gets unnoticed and it's, it's fine for me. Um, like this last year, this spring before the whole pandemic thing, we were in Spain and I climbed a lot of route. I didn't climb any super hard routes, but I climbed harder. I focused on a wall called Can Piggy Puggy in Sierra and it's an old, kind of an older, hard wall that doesn't get as much attention in Sierra. A lot of people are on the front side, kind of where La Rambla is and all these other hard routes and stuff. And Camp Piggy is kind of like tucked behind on the other side of the crag. 
and um, it has a lot of harder routes um, from 14C and below, hmm. and they're not the hardest routes at the area. So maybe there you don't see as many people there. You don't see as many repeats on some of these routes. But I wanted to go to this wall and kind of experience these older hard routes. You know, more technical, hmm. um, intense, run out, a little scary. Um, and I'm not getting the same amount of points for it, but I'm trying just as hard. You know, so <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. Like any standout I, routes from that cliff. Well, a few, like the one in particular was this Rug Chikani, and it's an old 14C that was put up by Ramon Julian, a okay. famous climber in Spain. And uh, yeah, th that was kind of a standout for me. Um, just really hard, almost vertical, slightly overhanging, face climbing on tiny little holds and smear mm. feet and stuff like that. And it was cool to try really hard on a route like that, that isn't like, 515 you know mm. and you know i've pursued a lot of other routes like we have a lot of routes like that in colorado and you know we have routes like um we have older routes from tommy caldwell for instance like you have tom foolery and rifle which mm. is 14b but probably gets half the amount of ascents as the hard 14 plus bad girls club down the canyon mm. um because it's probably just as hard <laughs> it's old school you know it was done in the er in the late 90s you know or routes like Necessary Evil in the Virgin River Gorge, you know, it gets a fair amount of a sense, but it's it's really freaking hard for the grade, and it's because it was done in the 90s, you know, and other routes in Colorado are like Grand Old Opry is mm -hmm. an amazing old school 514, Tommy Caldwell at the monastery, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Sarcasm up at, um, the just below the Diamond. These kind of routes I, I really enjoy, and I, and I take the time, I try to take the time as as much as I can to go try and climb these routes, you know, in between all the other harder routes, I guess, you know. So, cool. though, you know, a lot of those ascents, like for sarcasm, for instance, was, you know, it's 14A, so it's not going to like make headlines or anything, but it was one of the more memorable routes that I did in the last few years, just because mm -hmm. it it's just this knife blade arete. Um, it looks improbable when you look at it. You don't really see holds, and it's at 12,000 feet or in between 12 and 13,000 feet up at Chasm Lake. Mm -hmm. um, it's just an intense kind of alpine sport climbing experience. And, like, you know, you have to hike two and a half hours to get to it, and that kind of stuff really interests me as well. Cool. Yeah, so, like, for instance, that's something that, like, maybe not anyone knows about, but to me it was really important in a fun day out. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Right on. I think there's a really cool video of Carlo doing that one. Yeah. Yeah. Carlo did some crazy stuff where he climbed a bunch of stuff around Carlo, Rocky Mountain National 14, Park. 14, yeah. 14, the triple 14. Triple 14 day. <laughs> yeah. I'll link to that in the show notes for people that are curious about sarcasm. Yeah. Yeah. For reference, that's very, imp the, the day he had is incredibly impressive. <laughs> like, it's crazy. Does that sort of um, thing interest you at all? Uh... Not well. I really respect it. Not right. particularly. I totally. mean, you know, if I've done sarcasm, <laughs> then that was it. That was my experience with that route. I'm not totally interested in pairing it up with climbing a 14er mountain and like a V14 boulder problem in the mm -hmm. same day. Well, I, I find it like you know, like I was saying before, like impressive. It's just kind of climbs for me, or like I I climb them and I really you know enjoy that process. I guess like 
the whole like time thing and, and pairing things up only really interests me in like maybe big wall climbing. Okay. In the sense of like, I can understand the the value of like climbing a big wall in a day versus, you know, many days on the wall. Mm. Um, there's an added element of strategy and preparing and all that stuff. Like what we've recently seen in Yosemite with um, Emily Harrington and, mm-hmm. and those guys climbing Golden Gate in a day to me is a lot different it's much more impressive than, you know, someone working the route and staying on the wall for many days. Hmm. Um, I don't know much about big wall climbing, but I could just imagine that it's a whole other element of challenge. Hmm. So it's cool. It's cool to see. But uh, in terms of like linking boulder proms with sport climbs and big walls all together in the same day, I don't know if I have a future. In that, really. <laughs> um, I like to do all of them individually uh-huh. on different days, maybe, but I don't know if I'll ever be the one to do like a triathlon type thing. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, th- this is a great segue. I read a rock and ice Q and a with mm-hmm. you after you did biography. And at the end of it, they asked you kind of like, what's next for you. And mm-hmm. you, I was surprised reading this cause I hadn't heard about it, but you were like, Oh, a big trip to Yosemite this fall. Mm-hmm. Tell me about Misty wall. Yeah, so Misty Wall was a really, well, that trip initially, like when that article, we were just planning with Adidas and a, and a group of folks who wanted to push, um, you know, they wanted to like inspire a lot of the team and other athletes to climb in Yosemite. Um, the person in particular, John Long, who has a long history of climbing in Yosemite and stuff, just wanted maybe to see, you know, if he could inspire some of these younger athletes, um, climbers to, you know, cut their teeth in Yosemite a little bit and experience the walls. And I think he just had this idea of kind of researching old um, routes on different formations throughout the valley that hadn't been free climbed yet. Mm, old you know, aid routes. Yeah, old aid routes. Or, you know, a lot of, like Misty Wall, for example, was mostly free climbed in the past. Mm. And um, there was just a few sections that hadn't been freed or, you know, they these guys were just climbing the walls by any means possible, mm. really. Um, they were going from the ground, a really classic um, style of climbing and just adventuring up the wall, mm. like up the major features, you know. So when we went to Yosemite, initially it was to recon a route on the Lost Arrow Spire, okay, um, which goes almost free except one pitch, I believe which is just a nails hard blank slab and mm. it has bolts and stuff. It's an A0 slab. And I, you know, we kind of wrapped into into it and checked it out and I top roped on it for a while and like really couldn't make any progress or anything like that. So yeah. we kind of went back to the drawing board a bit. I climbed a lot on the route actually. The rest of the route is like really cool kind of adventure climbing, great climbing. I mean, an incredible location in Yosemite. But, you know, I was just like, I don't really know if this section of climbing, at least for me, could be done, you know, mm. or it's just going to take a lot of time. And it's like in the sun all the time. And mm. it's like a friction slab with like almost no holds. So it's just a more tricky endeavor. And I just didn't see it panning out in the time that we had. So we kind of went back to the drawing board and John Long suggested us checking out the Misty Wall because it was kind of right next to it. And they had been climbed many years ago by Royal Robbins and um his partner and so we wrapped in kind of unknowingly over an an old aid route which was a variation to um the misty wall and so we wrapped into that and found that it had like incredible free climbing potential there was like the a steep roof you know 
But unfortunately, there was no obvious gear placements and stuff in this roof. There was a little bit. So we were like, all right, there's probably going to have to, we're going to have to add some bolts here. Mm. Um, and we kind of avoided the original aid line. And we, we found these features kind of going off to the right. Me and my buddy, Marcus Garcia. So we were okay. kind of wrapping in and checking out the route. And once we kind of like checked out, and this is at the very top of the wall. Once we kind of checked out that zone a little bit, we were like, all right, well, let's, you know, go down to the base and climb this thing from the bottom. So we went down and kind of adventured our way up the wall over the course of a day or two. Like we would go up a little bit and come down and rest and all that stuff. And then one day we went all the way up and we climbed a lot of the sections, but not consecutively in, in a single push. So okay. I was able to like free climb all the pitches that, that trip, but we didn't, it wasn't like in a standard, you know, ground up um, ascent. Yeah, yeah. And a push. Yeah. Okay. So um, a season went by and we returned the next spring and we added Sasha DeJulian to the team. More like the whole, you know, everyone was interested and they were like, all right, let's 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 team up and do this in a party of three. So I kind of went with Sasha and Marcus was there too, but he was climbing some other stuff on that trip as well. Um, so Sasha and I were really on the wall, kind of rehearsing a lot of the sections mm-hmm. and the crux pitches, which are way up at the top of the wall just getting used to the route again and then later on that trip we were able to climb it from the ground to the top nice. so yeah awesome. it was a team effort um it was my first real experience in yosemite and you know while i really appreciate it and the route is incredible it really actually turned out to be one of the most memorable climbing experiences i've had mm. um, but i learned a lot about ethics and a lot about um, yosemite climbing and and how i would want to approach future climbs um hmm. so you know, I want to return to Yosemite. I want to climb in Yosemite again. And I think I would want to climb on El Cap. Mm-hmm. And I'm not entirely sure of where I want to start. But what I know for sure is I want to go with someone who's motivated and, and kind of have that, like, really true adventure experience of just, like, starting on the ground and working our way up to oh, the top. Man. You know, even if it takes many many days you know and we fail at free climbing and all this stuff like as long if we could make it from the bottom to top i would be you know that's the experience i'm really looking for in yosemite and maybe after that experience and i gain some traction and knowledge and experience of climbing on those walls we'll be able to kind of diversify what i want to do you know in a place like that um but for now i want to keep it kind of more adventure you know, and and kind of instead of just like a really targeted, structured, like, all right, let's go do this route and let's work it out. You know, like people rig ropes and all that stuff. And I, I kind of just want to like go have that ex- adventure of just like, all right, we're bringing our gear with us. We're going up the wall. Mm. Kind of like, you know, the the origins of Yosemite. Yeah. And, and what I've read so many stories and accounts about, you know, I want to. It would just be cool to experience climbing in that way. Yeah. Um, sort of like how I really like appreciating and climbing old sport routes and just kind of, you know, uh, that part of climbing really interests me of like not just climbing the new hard routes and rifle, but also like trying to seek out all the like kind of random, obscure, old, hard routes, you know, that kind of get forgotten a little bit. Tapping into the history a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and I think like the style of climbing Yosemite, from what it appears to me, I'm not experienced at all really, but like it's evolved over the years and there's people who do it very well. They're very dialed in and they know like what they need to do to free climb a 
route or what they need to do to climb a route in a day. And they're so dialed in, you know, but to get to that point took some learning and trial and error mm. for sure. You know, so I, I'm still in that trial and error period, you know, <laughs> and I want to have that kind of like, you know, adventure dirt bag, just go up the wall, you know, see what happens kind of thing, you cool. know, maybe bail. I don't know how, <laughs> how it, it, it'll go, but okay. it would be fun. That awesome. that would be my next experience in Yosemite. Okay. I think. Amazing. Yeah. Real quick. What's the breakdown of Misty Wall? And it Mist- being like 513? Um, there's a crux pitch that... It's anywhere from, you know, I would I would probably call it more 12 plus okay. um, sport, just like kind of a sport. It's a mixed, um, there's some gear, some bolts, you know, 12 plus, 13 minus maybe. Okay. Um, and then below that, there's a lot of, you know, 511, 510 climbing, um, some easier stuff. Okay. Um, but really awesome cracks. You, it basically follows this corner system for about a thousand feet and just really consistent cracks and overhangs and crazy overlapping roofs and stuff and and right after the crux pitch there's like a splitter probably 511 plus um hand crack you know off kind of flared crack corner Mm. thing which was really cool i thought and super exposed i mean it's like this hanging crack a ret thing and you know you have the waterfall a couple hundred feet to to your side just raging and and as you look down you know the wall really drops off because it's like right above this roof you know Mm -hmm. and you just see like the wall sweeping below so it's one of the more exposed bits of climbing i've ever done for sure it's just so steep and exposed and then after that it it really moderates it it mellows out Um, it gets to a ledge and then there's some scrambling to the top so it's right at the top of the wall so yeah. amazing mm-hmm. so cool yeah How it's many... a it's a cool route in that sense that like you you do this a ton of climbing 1500 feet or so of climbing and then you get the hardest bit at the very end you know wow. yeah. so it's like you're kind of conserving your energy the whole way um for real like you know strong yosemite masters it's probably not that hard it's like a lot of crack climbing and there's some flared like chimneys and stuff and for me, it was just totally desperate and hard. It like <laughs> took all the energy I had, really, you know. Yeah. But ironically, when I got like to the crux pitch and stuff like that, both times I, you know, I just had um, more comfortability in that style of climbing. So mm. I was like, okay, I got this at least. But the five eleven crack after, I don't know, I might blow out. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, harder for me. I'm still learning. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right on. Mm-hmm. So how, that's kind of the breakdown. How I many guess. pitches? Uh, 15. Okay. Yeah. So it's about 15, 1700 feet, maybe. It it, it follows the whole waterfall. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, some long pitches, some shorter pitches. Um, in the middle, there's, there's quite long pitches kind of just meandering these crack systems and ledges and stuff. So they go on and on and on, you know? Yeah. Like ledge to ledge kind of thing. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So this is interesting. You uh, you are sponsored by Adidas. Mm-hmm. You climb in five ten shoes, mm-hmm. and I don't know if I've I haven't paid really close attention, but I haven't seen that many Yosemite climbers climbing in five ten or what they choose to what they choose to wear. And I actually had a a patron question from Alec, and he was curious mm-hmm. which five ten shoes you're using nowadays. And I'd love to hear kind of what the quiver is for you because you do such a wide variety of. Right. Yeah. I mean, 510, you know, over the years, I think has really been known for like innovating and changing their shoes. You know, they're having new models and shoes every other season or every season sometimes, especially in the past. So recently, the shoes that I'm really most focused on and and use the most are probably the high angles. 
high angles. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just a really good, high quality all around shoe. You know, it's a, it's a type of shoe you can go bouldering with, or you could do sport climbing with. Um, so that's really what I use. Um, I've used the Quantums quite a lot as well in the past for more technical face climbing. Okay. And now the new Dragon, like the lace-up versions and, and stuff I've used. But there's more and more shoes coming out. Um, and I kind of, you know, experiment with all of them and kind of see, like, where specific shoes work best, you know? Like, we have the Alien, which is one of the newer shoes from 510 by Fred Nicole. And it's a really um, aggressive downturn shoe with a narrow toe. Mm. Um could work really well in a place like Tin Sleep. I mm. use them in Tin Sleep where there's a lot of pockets and like narrow little feet. Mm-hmm. A place like Margalef in, in Catalonia, um, Frank and Jura. There, you know, 510 is kind of coming up with shoes where you can use them for really specific things, mm-hmm. but they also still have the staples, you know, like the dragon and the fi- and the high angle and stuff that you can diversify and use on many different angles and, and different types of rock. Okay. Yeah. So long story short, I, I use the high angle quite okay. a lot. Yeah. It's my go-to Okay. right now. What did you use on the Misty Wall? On the Misty Wall, I actually have to kind of uh, look back. I believe I used um, the Quantum lace up it was okay. like a blue shoe and the anasazi um lace up the pink oh shoe. yeah yeah okay mm-hmm. yeah i kind of worked between both um what i learned a lot on that trip and with bigger longer days on the wall um in general is that your feet it, it gets really painful mm-hmm. for your feet you know <laughs> so a larger more comfortable flat shoe is definitely ideal I'm not familiar with the climbing on L cap. I'm sure you probably bring multiple pairs of shoes for specific different pitches and crux pitches and stuff. But for the general grinding, you know, in and out of the cracks, you know, I, I believe I use like a larger pair of the quantum lace. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alec also wanted to know, do you have any takeaways from dealing with climbing finger injuries? Mm, takeaways... Well, the main takeaway is that they suck. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, it's a pretty broad um, question, so I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll let you go for it, but then I could ask. Um, but what I've else. learned, maybe, yeah. from ha- yeah, because I've had multiple um, partial tears of A2 pulleys. Um, yes, they suck. We all know this. Um, any type of injury that kind of puts you out of the sport or activity that you enjoy is is never fun. The main takeaway, I guess, now that I think of it, is that the second time I had a pulley injury, I kind of combated it a lot different than I did with the first one. And what I did was more active recovery. Mm-hmm. So I moved my hand a lot more. I was f- hanging, putting weight on it a lot sooner than before. Hmm. And I think when I first injured my finger, which was, I'm trying to think back, it was probably in 2010. So it was about 10 years ago a lot of the knowledge out there and a lot of the research was like rest you know it's like you're mm-hmm. out for three months like mm-hmm. no climbing like can't touch holds can't wait it and then the second time around i talked to some doctors and other specialists and stuff and they're like no you got to get this finger moving and mm-hmm. recovered and it's got to it's going to lay down scar tissue and you got to make sure that you're breaking it up and it doesn't form like in unhealthy patterns and stuff like that. Mm. And and you got to strengthen the tendon again and the tissue around there rather than just letting it like kind of build up and, you know, then putting a lot of force on it once you think you're good, mm. you know. 
So um, the main takeaway was that, you know, I did initially, like after the acute injury, like once it happened, I did rest for a couple weeks, made sure I kind of, you know, let the inflammation kind of come and go. And then I iced it a bit and massaged it, made sure there was, you know, f- blood kind of flowing through there, trying to get as much recovery energy in there I guess Mm -hmm. and then I started you know to tape it alongside my other fingers like buddy taping and stuff and started doing really light exercises like with a rice bowl and different squeeze tools and stretching and stuff like that just kind of making sure that I maintained mobility and and then it wasn't long after that that I was climbing pretty moderately Mm -hmm. on on positive holds on low angles um, really short sessions and then shortly after that, I was doing really light hanging on a hangboard. Okay. Yeah. Which, you know, it initially to me, it sounded like totally counterintuitive right. to like go to a hangboard where some people injure themselves. But if you do it very moderately with, you know, sometimes you take weight off so you're lighter or you do really moderate hangs, it was really the key to my finger recovering quickly the mm-hmm. second time around and becoming strong. Like it, to this day, um, that's one of the fingers I'm like totally not worried about. So that, um, I want to highlight that because my, my first uh, finger injury was a A2 pulley in my left ring finger. And mm-hmm. s- similar to you at the time, there wasn't a whole lot of information out there. And I, I wish that someone had been there to tell me like, you're going to be fine. Like mm-hmm. this finger is going to be just as strong as every other finger. Once you deal with this thing, it just kind of sucks for now, but it's going to be normal again. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think if it's kind of like the Achilles heel for climbers, like you hear that pop and you're like, it's it, you know, that's it. My season's <laughs> ruined. Maybe intermittently your, your immediate season's done for, and you got to like reassess, but you could be climbing sooner than you think. Mm-hmm. And you could, that finger will return to full strength eventually. I would say like the most, the very most important thing in the very beginning of any kind of climbing injury or any injury for that matter is get a professional opinion, like Mm. get a a diagnosis, a definitive diagnosis, whether that's ultrasound, MRI, or like a really good PT that knows what they're doing when they do a physical assessment. Just know what's happening to your body. That's like, that's phase one, you know, well rest and then phase yeah, mm-hmm. and then figure out what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, there's a big difference between a partial tear, which could be the loud, awful pop that we hear, but there's not a huge difference between that happening and a full rupture um, in terms of, like, the initial... Like, I haven't had them both happen, but people, you know, could fully rupture their tendon and, and maybe just think it's, like, a partial tear or something oh, like I that. See. But in those cases, in most of the cases, from what I understand, you have to get it surgically repaired. Gotcha. Um, the tendon, the pulley tissue itself won't actually reattach itself. Mm. You know, with a partial tear, as loud and gnarly as it sounds, there's still some tissue kind of holding it together and it's going to build upon itself, you mm-hmm. know, so it has that little connection point. For other injuries like shoulders, knees, um, everything else climbing related, I I've been lucky not to have anything significant happen, so I don't really have advice there. Mm-hmm. But with the fingers, definitely, you know, get it, you know, rest, get a diagnosis. And if it's not as bad, if it's not a full rupture, you could probably return, you know, do a lot of research, contact people and um, do rehab mm-hmm. as soon as possible, pretty much. Get mobility going and strengthen that finger and that hand. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. 
Um, one of the resources that was most helpful for me eventually when I finally stumbled into it was uh, an interview that Esther Smith did with Neely on the training beta. Oh, yeah. Um, and I mm-hmm. think that's really in line with everything you just said and, mm-hmm. and kind of has more of the specifics of what people can do. Yeah, I think I looked into that also. She's done a few things, some YouTube videos and Mm -hmm. all, you know, there's all these, there's all this information out there now, which is nice, which is what I wish I had 10, 15 years ago, you know, Um, and, but climbing has become so popular that, um, what comes with that is like more people are getting into it who have injuries. So we're learning more about how to recover from those injuries. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Esther, I think had some good stuff. Yeah. I'll Alec, if you're listening, I'll, I'll link to that stuff in the show notes. And if you have, if you guys have any more questions, feel free to reach out. What about prevention? Is there, have you noticed any patterns thinking back to what led up to those finger injuries? And do you have any thoughts on preventing them? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, when you get injured like that, you you replay the day and the the situation <laughs> like a thousand times. You know, like what did I do? Like why? Where did I go wrong? Why me? Um, yeah, why did this happen? And that's a normal thing. And I think on those days, you know, I was generally warmed up well. Um, and basically, what happened and this shouldn't make people nervous, but in both cases, I was like in a kind of a half crimp position on like a fairly positive hold, all four fingers, and then my pinky dropped mm. um, on both occasions. And I crimped even harder with the three fingers, and I basically just overloaded that ring finger, mm. and it just gave way. So mm. being conscious of how you grab grips, I think, is a very, very important thing. You know, it's inevitable that we're all going to hit holds and we only have three fingers on and you don't have to be immediately worried like, oh, is my finger going to blow up? Um, odds are it's not. But like maybe, you know, considering like when is a good time to let go sometimes, mm. like if you stick a hold and it's just totally like off balance and like things are sliding and conditions aren't great like is it really worth it to like reel it in or just drop off um like a good example like my good friend daniel woods um i've seen him climb a lot and we all know him to be as strong as he is and and particularly in his hands and his finger strength he's has really strong fingers and i've seen him grab holds and and jump to holds and like stick you know, the hold on one of his projects or something like that. And he doesn't have it right. He'll let go. He drops off Hmm. a lot of times. Hmm. And I think he just knows that maybe it's like, I don't have it right. I'm not going to just like, you know, I need to have it a certain way, you know, to really pull that hard. And that type of hold is relative to all of us. It's going to look different than Daniel's probably, but we've all had that moment where we jump to our hold, our pinky drops, and we like re-engage really hard. And there comes a split second there where you do have the chance to just like let go. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to really tell yourself that because then maybe you're just (laughs) throwing to the next hold, which is a jug, and then you send, Right. you know, but like you can also throw the jug and a pop goes your finger you know right right so being conscious of like how you're grabbing holds um you're always going to be able to grab the hold again if you let go you know maybe not that day but the next day or whatever you grab it right and you do your project Mm. um for me that was the definitive that's what i come down to like those two times where my pinky dropped and i really just reeled it in like i had a a moment where I could have just stepped off, you know, mm-hmm. and like, cause I knew previously working those boulders, they were both boulder problems that when I did the moves well, my pinky didn't drop, mm-hmm. you know, and I did the move just fine. Mm-hmm. And that's how I have to do it from the start. I think. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. 
Yeah, but like staying hydrated, um, mm. warming up well, hydration's key. Um, all the kind of basic things that they say, like in all the books or like coaches and all this stuff, like make sure your body is feeling good. Like if your finger's really achy, like maybe don't train that day kind of thing or like don't try your hardest boulder ever if like your pulley hurts, you know? Basic stuff like that is the best preventative stuff I could say. Mm. Yeah. But, you know, the whole whole thing, like, you know, that that's just case by case. It's so subjective, you know, yeah. like how. I mean, I, I, I do think, though, like, so my ring, my, my only bad finger injury I've ever had, like I said, was an A2 pulley in my left ring finger. And it was that same thing where I was three finger crimping. My pinky was off. Mm -hmm. in, in that case, it was that's just the hold, you know, you can't fit four fingers on yeah. it, but you have to jump from that hold and it really loads your ring finger super hard. Mm -hmm. So I, th I think that three finger crimp position really does that ring finger is really vulnerable in that position. And you know, there, there's no avoiding it, but it's just something to be mindful of. Yeah, sure. And like, yeah, like I was saying, like, it's inevitable. We're all going to have to grab like a three finger crimp or pocket or something like that. It just, yeah. Being aware of your limits is super important. And making sure you're warmed up and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah, definitely, yeah, be aware of, like, anytime you drop from four fingers to three to two to one, you know, like, it just puts you at a more vulnerable position. So mm -hmm. just being smart when that happens. So you've been climbing for, how long have you been climbing? I actually don't know this. Um, I, I think I started climbing, you know, it's been right around 20 years. Okay. Yeah. I was like 10, 11. Okay. Yeah. You've climbed all around the world. You've mm -hmm. climbed in, in all sorts of areas around all sorts of different climbers. I love to ask people like you this question or a couple of questions related to this, related to the patterns that, that you see with mm -hmm. other climbers. Do you see any trends as far as where most climbers go wrong as far as habits or, or things like that that keep them from reaching goals, stuff like that? Anything come to mind? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> um, I think people, what really happens in the very beginning, because there is so much climbing information out there on training now, is that first couple year climbers um, train too hard hmm. in the beginning. And I think really at the beginning of one's climbing experience, the most important thing is to just learn how to properly climb and you know, experience, be open to a lot of different styles and different types of rock, different gyms, different angles, all of the above, really. Like, learning how to climb confidently on, on many different situations is, like, the most important thing, in my opinion, you know. And in the end, I think it'll help you appreciate climbing even more, you know. Because, hmm. like, you could say, like, all right, let's go climb, you know, a granite arete, you know, 5'8 to 5' whatever, you know, like... Some people are, like, nervous of doing that, you know? And they may be stronger than the climb, but they're just like, no, I don't know, it's, like, technical and weird and uncomfortable or, like... So I think, like, developing your style and your technique as a climber is, like, priority number one. And I think not all climbers go wrong there, but a lot of new climbers, you know, just, you know, think, like, oh, I have to do pull-ups, I have to do campus board, I have to do fingerboard... Um, I have to boulder really hard and this is all great stuff and it will come later in your climbing experience but often people get stronger than they are um, like good climber you mm -hmm. know so there's a stronger climber maybe they're just pulling up really hard doing big jumps in the gym and all this stuff but maybe they can't climb like the 511 slab 
you know, up the canyon or something like that,、mm-hmm. you know? And while that won't like totally inhibit their climbing experience in the future, it might limit them at some point,、mm. you know? And it's hard when you're really strong to learn how to climb really well, you know, because、mm. you're just used to pulling so hard. And, and a lot of that early training too much too soon could learn, lead to long term injuries, you know, like tendonitis or shoulder issues. Finger issues, all this stuff. And it's kind of like one of the things that I've learned in my experience of coaching you、yeah. know, youth climbers is that, like, yeah, you've done a lot of that. Yeah, they're a little more malleable. You know, their bodies like, can tolerate more maybe than older climbers who get into it. But I still want them to learn how to climb first, you know, because kids, they, they just absorb it and they sponge it up. Like, They become really good climbers really quick, but you got to like encourage them to do so.、Mm. You know, and they, you can't just like throw the kids on a campus board and stuff like that. It'll like harm their, you know, growth. You know, it could be really detrimental.、Mm. Um, so, yeah, when I teach clinics and stuff, people ask me advice like, what can I, you know, I've been climbing for a year and a half or something like that. And they're like, what can I do to get better? And, People don't always like this response, but I'm like, climb as much as you can.、Mm-hmm. Like, climb on, be open to different styles and different areas and, and just experience climbing. Like, really appreciate climbing for a few years, you know, and slowly start incorporating training into that.、Mm. Yeah. So, I would say, I don't know if it's going wrong. It's just that's my preferred, you know, advice to climbers.、Mm-hmm. is Learn how to climb really well first. Cool. No, that's、yeah. that's really great.、Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious with your coaching and maybe with,、um, I'm thinking of drills or anything like that. Do you have any advice as far as you know, climbing more and getting more skilled movement for someone who is really limited circumstantially? Like maybe someone who's in the city and,、mm-hmm. or a small town in the middle of、uh, the Midwest and they only have one gym、right. and you know, not a whole lot of access. Any, any, Recommendations or thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that's obviously,、um, you know, what I'm mentioning previously is a, is a privileged position, like being able to travel and climb, and, or just living in a state like Colorado where you just have climbing, you know, in your backyard. If you don't have this access, you know, you can still, like, if you at least have a climbing gym, you can diversify your challenges inside the gym, you know. Um, typically, gyms, especially these days, these awesome modern gyms, they have access to all different styles of climbing inside the gym, you know. But yeah, it, it gets harder when you have limited resources, you know. But I, I just think that maybe looking towards other climbers in that gym who are better than you, it, it's、hmm. good to like have partners that push you and that like kind of show you better climbing technique and. And skills and stuff like that.、Mm-hmm. You know, so just kind of sourcing out your、um, your options, your resources, you know, finding a mentor or someone or a coach or something like that would be my advice. Okay. You know, and、okay. yeah, climbing a lot, still in the gym, you know, and if you only get time to do one little trip a year or something like that, then soak it up when you're out there, you know. And like, be, try to be as prepared as you can for that in terms of like, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna lead, or I'm gonna place the draws, you know, or I'm gonna clean a route. Like, learning all this stuff is like so important in the beginning, you know, because it, it gives you the tools you need that when you do, you know, get the opportunity to go on a climbing trip, you can do that stuff on your own.、Mm-hmm. You don't need to rely on someone else.、Mm. But yeah, it's, it's harder when you don't have as much access, like if you're in a big city or something like that. 
if there's multiple gyms, you know, like try to visit multiple gyms every now and then, you know, um, financially that could be tough, you know, mm-hmm. but it, it could be a fun experience. Maybe every other weekend or something like to go to another gym in mm. the neighbor city or whatever, you know, or if one city has two gyms like that to experience different root setting styles. Okay. Um, yeah. Are there any go-to drills that you do with your kids as far as uh, climbing practice or skill development goes? Um, yeah, I mean, there was, like, we would basically, so when you get a group of kids together climbing, you know, like, they'll avoid certain walls for sure. Um, like, they'll avoid, like, the steep walls a lot of time. Mm. A lot of our kids would, at least. They liked, like, the lower angle walls, which is awesome, you know, because mm. it's like, all right, you develop, you know, they're, they like that. So every time, every, you know, not every time, but, like, often we'd have to, like, encourage them to, you know, climb on the steeper walls and like a lot of the kids when we would climb on roots they would be nervous of like the big steep lead wall it's mm-hmm. tall it's kind of scary it's harder so we would encourage them to climb on that wall as well mm-hmm. you know like still like okay do what you're good at like if they like the low angle top rope walls and and or just the lower angle walls like climb there feel strong feel good but also you know let's do a root or two over here in the mm-hmm. steep wall so we would encourage them to do stuff like that. Okay. Um, you know, I would encourage them also to like create climbs themselves with little groups. Um, like, I I wanted to see what their vision of climbing was mm. and is, you know, and like what kind of feet do they choose and what kind of hands do they choose and what kind of problems do they make up? Like, where's their creativity lie and what do they view climbing as? And I would help them. Like create boulders and then I would like take certain things off or change some parts of the problem, you know, and it would challenge them a lot differently, hmm. you know, like maybe I forced a toe hook or maybe I forced a heel hook, you know, instead of them just like jumping through it, you know, it's like the jump through is great, you know, it proves you're strong, you know, but maybe you could keep your feet on, you could like toe hook the ret and like reach up static and save energy, you know, and like just having that knowledge, it makes someone a better climber over, you know. Maybe you won't use it every single time you go climbing, but when you have to use it, you at least can say like, oh, I know, I know kind of what to do here, hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How so, long did you work as a root setter? Um, on and off for about 10 years. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a lot of off, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> I traveled a lot. I climbed a ton. There's been like a year or two at a time where I wasn't root setting. Um, but I, I kept kind of continually coming back. I had a good relationship with the gyms around here in Colorado. So, and I enjoyed it. Like the process is fun. It's creative. It's low stress most of the time. And so I was doing that for quite a while. It was like supplemental kind of part of my general, you know, giving me opportunity to live the lifestyle that I wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a lot of, su- I have a lot of support of my sponsors over the years, but the gyms just kind of helped support that as well. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, with that came a lot of time, you know, invested into like being at the gym and working at the gym and having that schedule, um, yeah. which in turn sometimes took away from like climbing and pursuing training or, or outdoor projects and all this stuff or traveling and stuff like that. And but, it's a brutally hard job. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you feel like it? Yeah. Yeah. Was was that? Do you feel like it helped your climbing? Either the the physicality mm-hmm. of it or the creativity of it and setting moves or. I mean, another yes or no, <laughs> yes and no. Um, yes, in the sense that like it 
always kind of kept me generally fit because mm-hmm. I was consistently always in the gym, always climbing, always had this like pretty solid base because of the requirements as like a root setter, especially in a place like Colorado where the standard of climbing and root setting is, is pretty high, mm-hmm. you know? So you have a lot of pro strong climbers come into the gyms and it's almost a necessity to like have available product for them you know Mm -hmm. as well as every other climber but so like it's just a challenging job at times in terms of like how hard it can get um but it kept me fit the downside to that is you know i would work eight hours or six hours and then i would want to train after or go Mm -hmm. climbing after you know so i always had this kind of um crutch i guess or like a little you know i was like all right well i'm coming off of eight hours of like physical labor, you know, and I've been in the gym for eight hours and now I want to be here for another three hours to train, you know? So it's just, it's mind numbing a little bit, you know, and it's, I really had to dig deep for a couple of years there to continue training and to stay focused. Mm. But I usually did my best when, you know, I took time off Mm. and, you know, then it smoothed out a little bit. But what else did I like? You know, the gym kind of gave me a, a structured, you know, work schedule and yeah. I liked having structure, you know, I liked having kind of like go in, work, you know, and, and come back and all that stuff. Like it, it taught me how to like work a normal job in a sense, like have like, you know, hours and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think that was good for a number of years. But then I kind of learned like, OK, I can move on. I could evolve from this and I don't necessarily need to be supported by the gyms necessarily, you know, so. Yeah, I just read an Instagram post from you from October that mm-hmm. it was the end of an era. Yeah. <laughs> you moved away from route setting. Yeah, yeah, I guess, I mean, for me it was. You know, I, I know that people appreciated my route setting and the coaching, of course. You know, it was hard to leave. Are you still the, coaching at all? No. Okay. No, so I, I'm not really associated with the gyms at all now. Um, I occasionally will go in and do some guest setting and, and stuff like that, you know. Um, right now is a really interesting challenging time for all gyms across this uh, country and they don't have as many staff and you know so when i can help out and they they can you know give me access to gyms and stuff like that you know i I figured something out but it's not like an official job like Mm -hmm. it was before um but yeah so i i decided to move on and focus on other things climbing is a main is a big thing about that um but also i kind of just you know i i have some potential opportunity in the industry and i and i've been around for quite a while now and i don't entirely know what it looks like but i just know that like if i start somewhere then it'll allow me to progress okay um and i got to a point in the gyms where progression really wasn't I mean, it was available and there was potential for it, but it wasn't the path that I wanted for mm-hmm. my future. So um, really, I'm kind of taking some time to really redefine um, my future and where I want to go. And I, I certainly want to climb, but I also want a career in this industry. And yeah, yeah, and I have a few options that I'm interested in. So Cool. Yeah, Exciting. I'll start working I'm, towards that. I'm excited to follow along with your journey yeah. and, and see, what, <laughs> see what that leads to. Yeah, cool. Thanks. I've got a couple just quick questions for you. Yeah. Um, we can start wrapping up here, but a few uh, rapid fire questions. Right. What is, uh, what is one of the best decisions you've ever made? One of the best decisions I've ever made. Um, Ooh, that's, that's a good one. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really happy and, and, and I'm fortunate for the opportunities that I've got 
through climbing, through this industry, through kind of the profession that I chose. Um, some of the trips, when I think back at it, like traveling to Southeast Asia or South America or all over Europe and kind of all over the world, you know, like none of this would have happened had I not really made that decision when I was really young to like pursue my passion, to mm -hmm. really like, you know, just go all in and figure out a way to you know, work hard and achieve, you know, my vision of, of life that I wanted, you know. And, mm. and when I was younger, my vision was kind of modeled after some friends that I met. Like Daniel was already a well-established professional climber. And early on, I met Dave Graham. And he was really cool to me. He gave me some opportunity, um, opened my eyes to a world of, you know, traveling around and climbing and, and doing kind of, in a way, this selfish pursuit. But in a way, it opened my eyes to so many different parts of the world, different cultures, individuals, ways of living, problem solving. I learned a lot of random business over the years of working with these companies and kind of negotiating my future and stuff like that. So my decision to pursue this lifestyle is one of the better decisions I think I made. I think it was good for me. When I was younger, I had opportunity and I had potential for different types of schooling and, and you know university and all that and while it still interests me and it did interest me at the time you know I'm, I'm still happy that i'm i'm here where i'm at so cool yeah cool right on man what do you like to do on a rest day when you are neither working nor climbing um well i like to walk our dog peyton okay <laughs> uh I, i'm into photography too i love yeah. to um take photos and you know meet up with fellow climbers or friends or even just going on out for hikes and and taking photos or um you know doing bigger kind of adventure days um with my girlfriend it's always been fun i've really been into the mountains my whole life pretty much because uh, of my family like the mountains in, in the sense of like just going out and and being a part of them hiking mm. around and mm. and doing stuff like that so um, I like getting outside pretty much. So if it's not climbing, I'll, I'll be hiking or running or something like that. Okay. Yeah. What is something that you've been especially grateful for lately? My health. <laughs> yeah. Uh, incredibly grateful. Um, yeah. As, <clears throat> as you guys know, I, I got sick, uh, very mild, moderate, um, experience. Um, however, you know, it, it's opening that, you know, there's dangers out there, you know, and mm. like, I'm not older, but I'm like, I'm into my thirties now and I'm on my way, you know, and it, it's, it's becoming real that like having a healthy, sustainable body and lifestyle is, is so important. It's so valuable, mm. you know, and I've had, you know, different members of my family or, or, um, others, families who aren't as fortunate and it's, it's, you know, something to be thankful for, mm. for sure. So I'm, I'm always grateful and appreciative of like the good health that I have. And over the years I've learned, you know, maybe it's from the traveling and stuff like to like cook fresh food and to like have good, healthy, like a diet, you know, a balanced diet and stuff. And a lot of that came with like trying to perform well. So it's like trying mm. to treat my body as well as I could in order to like feel good for climbing pretty much. Yeah. So mm. Yeah, I'm grateful for that for sure. Right on. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in line with that, what is uh, what's a favorite post climbing session meal? 
post-climbing session meal well it's recently kind of changed because i've gone mostly vegetarian okay <laughs> in the last um couple months you know it's been kind of a longer transition um so it's changed you know I like before i would like love to go get a burger or like something like that you know but i don't really go for that stuff anymore okay um i still eat stuff like fish and um but really lately it's been kind of like I don't know, a combination of like fresh vegetables and maybe a protein in there like fish or salmon or something like that. Um, I, I really enjoy, yeah. So cool. Cool. <laughs> healthy, fresh, anything like that, um, I'll go for it. Right on. Yeah. Right on, man. Well, I know uh, we're, we're getting down to the wire here. You have a climbing session yeah. <laughs> scheduled to get to. Yeah. But yeah, this has been super fun. I really appreciate the time. Yeah. When's your next day up at the fortress on the project? Um, I think that'll come pretty soon. I'm just kind of getting back in the groove here. It's been well over a month since I've been up there. So I'm just kind of like taking it day by day and mm. just waiting until I feel good. And the season lasts pretty much all year. So okay. yeah, it'll, you know, there could be good days in January. There could be good days in February, December. So there's no real pressure to get to it. And I'm just kind of waiting till I feel in these outdoor sessions or the occasional gym or hangboard session. When I start to feel ready, then I'll start going up. But okay. I imagine in the next couple of weeks, okay. I'll, I'll go for like kind of a recon, see how I feel. And then if it feels good, then I'll, I'll continue process there. Sweet. Mm -hmm. Does the project have a name? Um, right now, it's gone through many names, <laughs> but right now what I like the most is, uh, I read a book this spring called The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle. Okay. Um, so the Wind-Up Bird. The Wind-Up Bird, yeah. Okay. Um, it's a really interesting kind of weird science fiction book that takes place in Japan. Kind of really strange book, but it was entertaining as well. And I just kind of like the name, The Wind-Up Bird. Um, basically, you know, as we all know, like a wind-up bird's like a toy that you wind up in it and it goes for a certain amount of time until it runs out of <laughs> wind, you know? So that's mm. kind of how I felt on this route. I'm like wound <laughs> up and then at a certain point it just like stops, you know, <laughs> like at the crux, you know? So hopefully I could wind it up a little more. Uh, I don't know. I haven't really, um thought too deeply on the names you know i okay. just I, sometimes i just take inspiration from random things like a book for instance and then i find my own way to connect it to the climb okay yeah <laughs> nice i like it yeah so that's it for now the wind up bird project yeah wind up bird right on man well yeah. thanks again and uh i'll be rooting for you right on cool, cool. thank you cheers Shine when the light grows dim. See one, one, two.